that, you know, I'm vegan because I really want to minimize the amount of harm my choices cause every day. And it's it's not to say that you avoid creating all harm in the world. Uh, that's, that's pretty well impossible, is that there's always something harmed in a process. But the idea is trying to minimize as much as you can the amount of harm you cause and and always trying to, to create less harm and less harm and do better and do better. And I think that's, you know, why I do it. Welcome to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. I'm your host, Pat McCauley. This podcast is all about celebrating the lives of those who have adopted a plant-based or vegan lifestyle and how it has positively impacted their health, relationships, outlook on life, and so much more. For more episodes and information about the benefits of living a plant-based or vegan lifestyle, visit eatgreenmakegreen.com. This week's episode of the Eat Green, Make Green podcast is sponsored by Darwin Clothing. Darwin makes men's dress shirts and Henleys, and I'm telling you, when I bought my first Darwin dress shirt, I will not buy any other type of dress shirt. The fit makes me look good, makes me feel good. I can wear it tucked in. It doesn't come untucked. Um, I can wear it untucked. I just love everything about it. They are handmade in Boston's South End with the best high-quality fabrics, um, the shirts literally make six to seven hours to make per shirt. I mean, it's an incredible product. If you care about how you look, which I do, uh, I want to look and feel my best at all times, then you need to check out Darwin Clothing. You can literally go to the website darwinclothing.us and shoot Peter, the owner, a text, and he will take care of you. I mean, there is no other buying experience that comes close to that. Um, they are unbelievably made shirts, and I really recommend that if you wear a suit every day or you are more of a Henley guy, that you go to darwinclothing.us and shoot Peter a message. At the very least, he'll give you more information. Amazing local brand. On this week's episode of the Eat Green, Make Green podcast, I sit down with the compassionate and positive Michael Broadhead. I'm out in Singapore for the next few weeks, and through the connections of a previous guest on the podcast, Dan Stackhouse, I got hooked up with a number of vegans here in the country known as the Little Red Dot. Almost everyone I spoke with directed me to Michael Broadhead. Michael is the founder of the charitable organization Animal Allies, as well as a local school teacher, and is a major leader in the vegan movement here in Singapore. We talk about how Michael went from growing up on a farm in rural Canada to traveling the world and winding up in Asia, what the vegan scene is like here in Singapore, the diabetes and other lifestyle disease issues in Singapore, the future of the vegan movement in the country, and much more. Michael is one of those people who you spend five minutes with and you feel like you've known him for years. He is one of the most traveled people I've ever met, and it was an absolute pleasure getting to know him. So without further ado, the fantastic Michael Broadhead. All right, I got Michael Broadhead here. Hello. What's happening, man? Oh, we're just enjoying a nice uh, cloudy afternoon here in Singapore. Yeah, we are, for people listening, we're sitting in my hotel room. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That Michael uh, 
uh, was was nice enough to come to, and we're we're looking out the window at is this downtown here? Yeah, this? that's Orchard Road, Orchard uh, which is Road. Uh, the famous shopping street, and uh, we also have over there at the Marina Bay Sands, the the famous hotel. It was, I think, recently destroyed in the Independence Day sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been over in Marina Bay Sands. That's, that's definitely like the postcard. Yeah, of yeah, Singapore. yeah, yeah. It's in the, the newest. The defining, is that the newest portion? Um, well, I guess in terms of Marina Bay, yes, area. Of course, there's, there's lots of things being built all the time here. But yeah, that, that area, uh, that's sort of the crowning jewel of their redesign of the whole Marina mm. Bay area. So we connected from uh, a guest I had on the podcast before, Dan Stackhouse, for those uh, listening, I think it was episode five or six, and um, <clears throat> his wife was from, ironically, from Singapore, and I was headed there in a few days, and he connected me with uh, Riza, yep. and then Riza knew you and connected us, so uh, kind of cool. Yeah, kinda it's kinda nice cool. to, to see how things connect that way. Yeah, fellow a fellow vegan in Singapore here, and I'm fired up to talk with you. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, so uh, we're going to get into all things vegan, <laughs> but uh, first, can you tell us a little bit about your background? We were talking before, you're uh, from Canada originally. Yes. Um, kind of what uh, life was like growing up, where you grew up, and uh, how you ended up in Singapore. Yeah, okay. Well, um, I'll, I'll hopefully not take too long <laughs> trying to, to recount my whole life there. But I did, uh, I grew up uh, on a grain farm uh, in Alberta, Canada. So I grew up on a farm. All our neighbors uh, are farmers more of grain and animals. So um, as I was a, when I was a kid, we would go to the neighbors. And so, you know, I, I I've know all of the things that, uh, you know, in terms of farmers, how they raise their animals and uh, process them, etc. And, uh, you know, I've seen over the years things change and it's become, you know, a little more industrialized and corporate driven. And, uh, you know, now around our farm, we, we sort of have, um, you know, these factory farm style um, slaughterhouses now and chicken um, sort of sheds. Uh, so that's kind of been a, a change that I've seen. Um, but yeah, I grew up there. My family didn't raise animals um, on the farm. Uh, we were purely grain farmers, but um, they now raise beef um, cattle. So they started that when I was in university uh, as a way that they started diversifying their, their farm. And uh, yeah, so essentially I, I grew up uh, on a farm in a very small community in Alberta, Canada. And then I ended up uh, sort of always wanting to get away and, and see the world a little bit more. So I, uh, after I finished university studying education, I flew over to the UK and I got a job there. Uh, did that for a year, really enjoyed uh, exploring the the sort of living history there because when you grow up in Canada, you don't have castles, you don't have, you know, that, that living history uh, there. So when I was there, I really tried to, to go out all the time to, to different places and uh, I eventually um, ended up going back to Canada for a couple of years before heading out to Taiwan to teach. And I enjoyed that. Uh, I sort of broke it up. Uh, I was in Taiwan for two years, but I did one year in between traveling. And that was the time where I became vegan. Before that, I was uh, a meat eater, heavy meat eater. 
And uh, after Taiwan, I went to Beijing, and then I ended up in Singapore, uh, where I've been now for about four years. And uh, this is where really I've started to, I guess, um, become more active in terms of spreading veganism, inspiring people, that kind of stuff. Cool. So that's an awesome story bouncing around from country to country yeah and is this all because of your teaching jobs you're just getting different teaching jobs in in london and in taiwan and all these places yeah i've I've been teaching in all of them so as an international school teacher you do have these opportunities to to hop around from place to place um i've i've been lucky enough really and privileged enough to be able to travel now quite extensively and so now I've decided that uh, I'm at the phase of my life where I'm settling down. And so now I'm not really planning to leave Singapore. This is why I'm starting various projects here that are long term. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of happy where I am now. Very cool. So you said in Taiwan you made the switch? To um, so it was kind of in between. So so I taught a year in, in Taiwan, and then I really wanted to do a backpacking trip. Um, originally, I wasn't even going to go to Taiwan. I was just going to do a backpacking trip, but it kind of fell apart. So I ended up, uh, instead of doing a backpacking trip right away, teaching first. Um, but then I, I felt, okay, you know what, I want to go backpacking. So I, I did that for about a year. I backpacked various countries in Southeast Asia and India. And it was when I was in India... Uh, that I ended up um, discovering veganism for the first time. And that's when, you know, I, I, I sort of changed. And so after that point, I went back to Taiwan, etc. But since that point, and that was in 2010, um, I've been vegan since then. And what was, so you discovered veganism in India? Yeah, yeah. So how did you discover it? And, you know, what was, what was the spark? What was kind of, when did the light go off? How did it go off? And... Yeah, it was it was kind of uh, very unexpected. So, like I said, I was a very heavy meat eater, and you know, I grew up in the area where you know it's just normal to to be raising animals and and all that kind of stuff for food. Uh, so I and I had a best friend who was vegetarian in university, and it never, even though she was you know bringing up these things, uh, it never really got into my skull at all um, to to think about it in any any sort of meaningful way. But when I was in uh, doing my backpacking trip, it was really also a, a process of discovering myself. Uh, so it was really like this being very open-minded, discovering new ideas, new cultures, etc. And so I was in the right mindset, I think, and that helped a bit. But I was in uh, a, a province, um, uh, Kerala province in southern India, and I was in this... Uh, this sort of sea seaside uh, village, and uh, it was you know, I was just having dinner with a random traveler that I had met, and this traveler said that she had just come from this reforestry project called Sadna Forest, and that uh, she said it was a pretty unique and cool experience. And uh, the more she talked about it, the more I felt that oh, that sounds like something that would be interesting to to go and try out and do some volunteer work. So after after that, I kind of uh, meandered my way over there over the next couple of weeks and uh, ended up in Sadna Forest. And when I got there, um, I guess just uh, it, it basically the the context of it is the local population 
has been having trouble in the last uh, last while growing food because they um, they overgrazed the soil and so the soil um, was now eroding away and every time there was a monsoon rain all the new topsoil was being washed away and, and so you know it was just causing uh, poverty so this group here um, they they set up and it's a foreigner that started it up I think he's originally from Israel uh, I can't remember, but I think so. And uh, so he set up, and it's all built out of bamboo and, you know, the solar panel power and all this kind of stuff. Very green, very sustainable thing. And uh, bringing in different volunteers to essentially um, go on the on the hillsides and um, dig pits and build buns, which are just like these raised soil edges um, so that you sort of ring those around the, the hills. So whenever it rains, um, the water can't just flow straight down. It collects in the pits you dug, and then those buns actually stop it from forming streams and, and cutting through the through the hillside. So it starts to, and then you start planting, you know, there as well. And so then the roots start growing, and um, then it, it starts to actually solidify the topsoil, etc. So they've actually raised, uh, but when I was there, they raised the the water table of the area several meters uh, in, in, through their work, and there was a lot more greenery going on. So I was happy to to do all of that, um, but while I was there, and I, I you know I didn't really uh, know this for sure going in, but when I was there, the food was all vegan, and uh, so you know I was like oh like I was open minded at that point, and I was like yeah I'll give it a try, um, and. But through the process, you know, I was also trying to figure out, you know, why, you know, why is this vegan and what's what's sort of the reason, trying to understand the philosophy behind the place. Now, now are you in a rural, pretty rural Yeah, area? yeah, it's a rural area. Yeah, yeah it's in the middle of nowhere. It's, um, you you kind of get off a bus uh, at the side of a, a road. Um, you know, it's not a bus stop. So you just tell them, you know, the bus driver, let me off here. And then you let them know you're coming and they send somebody with a scooter and they drive yeah. you in the rest so of the way. You know, it's 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 out there and it, it really helps, you know, the locals. It's it's really, you know, integrated with, with helping this local population. So, so they're eating meaningful. vegan though because it's all they can afford and grow and live off of, right? So so most of the volunteers in this are are not locals. The most of the volunteers are actually foreigners uh, mm. that come in and our goal is to help um, the locals. So so this was um, what uh, so so the the founder he uh, I think his name was Avaram. Um, he had a night there with a Q and A session, um, and so well, the question that I asked was why is it vegan? Because I didn't understand that, and uh, he pointed out that if you look at global deforestation, uh, he said that the major driver is um, you know animal agriculture, meat production. And uh, so that was the first time that I sort of realized that there could be a connection between sustainability and food. You know, there's like this this blind spot that I never really thought of. And he said, you know, essentially we're we're doing reforestry work here. We're planting, you know, to to restore this. Uh, you know, if we're going to eat meats, you know, we're going to end up cutting down more trees indirectly than we're going to end up planting here. Mm -hmm. So it makes no sense. We might as well just stay home. Uh, and yeah, that that really got me thinking, and uh, you know, I started then researching and finding. Well, yeah, you know what the the data is out there, especially in the, in the Amazon rainforest, uh, which is, you know. As an, you know, I like to call myself an environmentalist at the time, and you know that really kind of spoke to me. And then I started looking up more, 
and finding that it had, you know, very, very clear connections to climate change, you know, and then I, you know, the more you research, the more you find out that it's really connected to every major environmental problem facing the planet today is how we're feeding 7 billion people and the, you know, the inefficiency of, of going one more step up the food chain. So that was a very uh, big revelation to me. And that was sort of the first thing that got me to think, wow, okay, these people, you know, have a reason for this. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's be, it moved beyond that. Uh, so that was sort of, you know, one pillar knocked away, you know, it was like, okay, sustainability is, you know, one mm -hmm. reason, you know, I shouldn't eat meat, you know, so, mm -hmm. so, the, you know, another pillar that was, you know, because I didn't want to, you know, stop necessarily eating meat, uh, you know, I was trying to find reasons, of course, to stay eating meat and all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, the next thing, uh, I don't know what, what uh, you know, I think it was uh, the next night or, or somewhere around there where we watched a documentary um, called The Cove. And that's about the dolphin slaughter in Tianjin, uh, in Japan. And so we watched that film and I was really, you know, I hadn't really seen, you know, animals being slaughtered that, like, it, but filmed in that way, you know, like I'd seen animals be slaughtered growing up. In, in, in Alberta and you know like one memory I have from Alberta is when I was a small kid uh, we were butchering chickens um, and while the adults were butchering and, and us kids were, were standing around watching and I remember that they cut the the head off this one chicken and it started you know its whole body was you know sort of jumping around um, you know um, without its head and it happened to just kind of follow me like it, it kind of bounced towards me and then I'd try to walk away in another direction and then would kind of flop in the same direction and it, it, it kind of cornered me behind some barrels and I, I remember that quite vividly because I you know was trying to sneak past the, the barrels to get away but eventually stopped hopping around and so I'd seen that but the you know I now realize that you know it's when when you see the when you're a kid and all the adults around you are doing that and they're normalizing it and all those kinds of things you don't see it necessarily as uh, you know the, or you don't see it for the horror it really is mm. um, even though you know as a kid uh, even in that in the area I grew up you know there's a lot of hunting as well I never was a hunter and uh, I never slaughtered any of the animals either I always you know kind of didn't like those kinds of things but going uh, you know to, to seeing in the cove where you're seeing that you know that these are people who are trying to portray you know the animal as you know its own being and you know that what's happening to it you know there's an element of cruelty and then it also has a connection with dolphins because you know a lot of people even though they eat meat they care about dolphins and i think that that played a role for me as well was like you know what here are these very intelligent dolphins and seeing you know what's going on so anyway it it's really moved me and then we led into a post movie discussion and the discussion, you know, one of the questions was, you know, why do you feel compassion towards these dolphins, but not the compassion towards a cow or a chicken? And, you know, it was like, for me, I'm a very logical person. I teach science and I, I try to mm. really be logical about a lot of things. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, why, why did I feel that way? And I kind of realized that actually I didn't 
feel that way is that as soon as I started thinking about it, like, and, and I could start realizing, you know what, I know all these things about cows, you know, because I know that, you know, we have on the farm, like pet cows, sometimes, you know, the ones that you had to bottle feed from birth, because the mother died or something like that. And you, and you realize that, actually, they, they really are moral beings, they, they have their own personalities, and all these kinds of things. And you kind of realize that, you know, you're in a culture where you kind of just learn to ignore that. And then this, you know, this experience was sort of making me reevaluate, like, what I was sort of seeing in these, in these other, you know, animals. And uh, so, you know, that started to really make me think, you know, what, um, I don't, uh, you know, if I really love animals, which I, I said I was an animal lover. And, and when I said that, I meant it in the traditional sense that most people do is that they love cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, all other animals, you know, you eat them. Um, but th- this made me really think about this idea of, you know, what does loving animals actually mean? So that led me down that moral route. But I was still, of course, trying to 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 have this like, it's a big lifestyle change so it's like but you know what okay maybe you know it's just necessary because you know what i've been taught i need to eat meat you know like Mm -hmm. sure it maybe it's shitty that we have to kill them but you know what if we don't we're gonna die and then you know but being at the at the camp there for two weeks you know you get to meet many of these vegans and we're all doing the same physical labor work and they're they're all healthy um actually healthier because you know when in, in in north america now most people have a lot of lifestyle diseases uh so realizing you know that wow you can have so so i mean at that point when you realize it can be healthy um that's when it really hit me it's like well you know what if you can be healthy then it really is a moral choice like you can actually choose to kill these animals for no purpose other than your own maybe taste buds um mm-hmm. Or you can let them live. And so when that was really became clear to me, um, you know, I decided that I was going to be vegan for, for life after that. So was it on the health side? So that's the side I, I work with people to, uh, if you didn't know, to adopt plant-based lifestyles and, uh, you know, food as medicine type. Yeah, work. yeah. And uh, so it was simply a, I can be healthy. Has it transformed over the years to a, this is what's going to keep me around for <laughs> the long haul versus, you know, dying of one of these, you know, lifestyle diseases that are killing everybody that I want to talk about kind of the scene with in, in yeah. Singapore. But is it, is it still for you just, I can, you know, be healthy or is it, you know, this actually makes me my best physically. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely transformed. But I mean, like, you have to realize I went from being a heavy meat eater of, uh, but not only that, but a heavy processed food eater. Mm -hmm. And so I went from that to, you know, just kind of being the pseudo junk food vegan, um, like still like, you know, eating a lot of these processed or, you know, rip this packet open, add water, you know, type of stuff, buying all the vegan convenience products that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. and i slowly started weaning off those um and i started you know embracing this the, the more whole foods plant-based diets uh you know eliminating processed foods and all that and i think that's when i really started to feel the benefits um of that because right. uh and then I, I i also started getting the motivation to actually be more physically active whereas before that i was very much you know a, a, a couch potato type of person and uh, so, I mean, overall, I, I view 
it now as you know if you're doing the whole foods plant based diet and uh, and you're doing it well you know you're you're really um, sort of conscious of all the nutrients and and what you're eating and you're eating um, you know not only really tasty food but but you're eating a, a lot of really good food um, then it really really makes you thrive and mm. so now I view you know the the vegan diet as a way to thrive uh, you know knowing what we all know about nutrition and now knowing what we have access to you know because of modern markets uh, this is a way to thrive uh, versus survive um, you know yeah cool cool so we end up in Singapore in 2013? Um, yeah, about there. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> the years are, are Yeah, it must be there. Yeah. And so when you arrive four years ago, tell me kind of what the vegan scene is here and when does um, animal allies come into play okay um so back then i mean you're just finding your footing as well so like i would uh, you know the internet uh was just finding a few places online and trying them out so it was nice to see you know i i guess the the major players are still almost all the same ones veganberg at that time veganberg had a few more locations here because they had just recently launched so i think they had four locations throughout so Singapore. what's veganberg i'm I'm like looking for spots oh you know? yeah <laughs> so yeah so so this is actually in the u.s as well now um uh, it's uh, a vegan burger fast food chain essentially oh, okay. so it's mcdonald's vegan and uh so the, they've they've now jumped back to one location here and one in san francisco um so yeah that was one of them the other one is brownies ice cream so that's uh, you know vegan ice cream and it's really really good ice cream mm. that, that's the most important part of that um and then uh, living cafe which wasn't totally vegan but um, it was one that had a lot of sort of vegan options and also raw vegan options um it was one of the few so there, there's a few around, but I mean, overall, Singapore has a lot of vegetarian options to begin with. There's a, there's a, a culture of the, the Indian vegetarians and the Chinese Buddhist vegetarians here. So there's a lot of vegetarian around, although um, vegan, you know, was still kind of niche. And, uh, mm. But I think now we're, we're, we've definitely seen an expansion of, of some things and we're seeing more vegan options coming up. And yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. So how does animal allies form when does it form and uh yeah talk to me about that whole okay so, um well i guess i i got involved first with the vegetarian society singapore here and uh, that one most of the um the executive um were vegans as well at that point so I started volunteering there a bit here and there, um, but you know there wasn't a lot of really. It, it was all purely voluntary, and there wasn't a lot of real activism going on. Mm. So it was kind of like you know, an organization that exists, but it's not really doing much um, type of thing yet. Um, it, it's kind of gone through its ebbs and flows. I mean, we we definitely had some sort of sparks of 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 sort of projects, like we had a big MRT. Uh, poster campaign uh, where we had city hall all the posters um, about you know why um, why eat one but love the other type of stuff um, mm -hmm. we had um, a, a starter kit and we had these dvds um, all of that sort of happened um, slightly before i came and 
you know, just after I came. And then it kind of fizzled out for a bit. And, the, you know, there was kind of maybe a lack of a long-term strategy type of thing. So mm -hmm. I, I started, you know, just, and then I started getting to know more people through the potlucks. So the vegan potlucks were a, a way that everybody sort of got together as well as a WhatsApp group. And so, you know, for the first while, I just kind of got to know people and, uh, you know, started to get a sense of, you know, who were, who was, who were the vegans and what were they interested in in Singapore. And uh, so I decided that, um, you know, I guess the first thing that I really wanted to do um, in terms of the activism was um, Earth Fest, which was a festival, um, and it still is a festival. And this kind of drew from Beijing because when I was in Beijing, um, I was part of sort of helping um, a vegan market start up at my school because uh, Beijing is, was getting a fairly big vegan scene going. And I kind of thought that sort of community aspect was really nice, you know. And so I thought, okay, well, I kind of want to bring that to Singapore. And so, you know, I wanted to do that through the Vegetarian Society was have this festival called Earth Fest. And I wanted to highlight the intersectionality between the environmental movement and, and veganism. So mm -hmm. I wanted it to be, and for marketing reasons, uh, have it highlight the green aspect, um, you know, and then have it embody that everything is plant-based, cruelty-free mm -hmm. in, in addition to that. Um, so, so sort of make it like a comprehensive sustainability festival where it, it, it hits all of them. So I, I then sent, set out for about a year and a half uh, meeting different environmental sort of leaders in Singapore, getting to know them, uh, surveying different locations, and uh, eventually enough, uh, and finding vendors, and eventually enough came together that we were able to start it back in, um, what is it, 20, uh, 2015, uh, we were able to have the first festival, and uh, it went well, it was well attended, so decided that it would do it again so we just had one a couple months ago in, in 2017 uh, february and then we're gonna have the next one in january 2018 so it, it keeps growing and we're finding more support and uh, it, it's nice to be able to to get all these because most people who come to this festival are not vegan um, so it's great for them to to be able to come and, and try because uh, we have a food fair as well as part of the festival and have all this vegan food and, and try it out and Singapore has a big food culture so they actually kind of get people get kind of excited that they get to try this you know different type of food that mm. they don't normally eat so it becomes a, a really, I think, nice way to to highlight, you know, the positives of veganism. It's just really good food. Yeah. And, oh, you know. <laughs> something without meat can taste good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cheese, which, right? which, you know, I, 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 I completely understand that because I used to have that mindset as well. Yep. So. Yep. Cool. Um, so being vegan in Singapore. Yeah. How much of a, a minority are you? And, you know, do you know numbers wise kind of percentage of citizens that are uh, somewhat, somewhat, at least vegetarian? Um, we do. No, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong statistic <laughs> right now. There was a we survey that came out last, last, uh, last uh, fall. Um, I, I, can't, I think it was Nielsen that did it. Mm. Oh, geez, what was it? I want to say, oh gosh, uh, I think it was 9%. 9%, yeah. I think okay. it was 9%. Yeah. 
You have that's to look decent. it up later. I think that's decent. Yeah, it's decent. I don't. Was that vegetarian? Yeah. Or vegan? No, I can't remember. Yeah. All right, but it's under 10%. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a single-digit number, right? Yeah, I have a feeling vegetarian was higher than vegan was 9. Oh, I wish I... I should know this. I really should know this. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's the only one we kind of have. And I mean that... And so, you know, EarthFest, uh, you know, helps, you know raise a profile a bit of, of or at least the awareness of veganism um although we market it more as plant-based um mm-hmm. in terms of marketing but um that's where animal allies really comes in which is to try and and highlight and expand the the awareness of veganism and and help people become vegan by by doing outreach that that inspires them you know through the environment health or uh, the moral reasons for for doing so and so that's why we started that you know in in about a year and a half ago um january 2016 and yeah so i think that's been a very a very positive rewarding experience for everybody involved is coming together and developing these new projects and doing this outreach and i think we're we're going to see some some really amazing things come out of it in the long run and it's Events. So you mentioned Earthfest. It's also educational events and yeah, food we do. events and yeah, we're we're lucky that you know vegans are a very passionate group. So when they volunteer, you know they really put their hearts into it. And so um, you know Earthfest is our our major like national scale events you know where you have thousands of people attend but you know we we do lots of other things like we do corporate talks uh we do some school talks we do pop-ups at events uh we do a lot of social media blasting as well um you know p- uh, targeted uh, ads through that as well as adwords um, mm-hmm. we do some targeting through there developing resources like we we worked with animals australia um, on a starter kit for Singapore and so we work on distributing that uh, so that people can actually because we kind of know the research you know what difficulties people face um, in, in trying to transition cut back etc so we try to to develop those resources and and also our website um, we try to put a lot of resources on there to help people and try to make it very practical and yeah there's there's many other things that happen sort of behind the scenes as well so we have you know people writing into the media and doing pitches to the media and we have some engagement with the government and and stuff like that so there there's a lot of things that go on um that that people may not be aware of unless they're volunteers yeah so that's a great lead-in um in terms of the government uh being supportive of what you're doing um and they're kind of, to get into the health side, kind of the dietary guidelines that they set uh, for the population and things like that. <clears throat> in the U.S., it's very much, um, the government's very much entrenched in um, the meat and dairy industry, uh, as well as the pharmaceutical industry. So there's a whole economic side to it. And, you know, if you go on American Heart Association, uh, the U.S. website, um, you know, they still have, you know, meals, recipes with meat in it. And, uh, same with, uh, you know, the, I don't even know the name of the site, but the diabetes one for the U S and all these, they still have meat and cheese and, and things like that. And in the meals they recommend, and, you know, they still, even in like the food triangle still have like a portion of animal products and things like that. And, um, and it really is to me, at least no question that 
you know, I, I would rather, you know, smoke a pack of cigarettes a day than, <laughs> than eat meat at every meal. And I mean that, you know, and it, it's really like with the stats and the, and the, you know, what we see from the health side nowadays, like it's, it's very clear to me that, you know, if you don't want heart disease, you, you shouldn't eat that. Um, and, but because of the economic relationship of the government and, you know, these big industries, uh, they're never going to say, don't eat it or don't do this. Um, so what's it like in Singapore with, uh, the government? Uh, do they support kind of the vegan movement? Maybe from a green standpoint they do, but, um, do you want to get into that a little bit? Um, so I think that, you know, we're trying still to, to understand. So there, there's several, several ministries here. Um, so, so, you know, we, we try to go from it, you know, from a green angle, uh, from a health angle, mm. um, because those are the two where the government uh, ministries have certain goals. Okay. So, so, um, if we start with the green, you know, th there's, there's a few agencies and, uh, under, under ministries here that, that try to work towards that. And we're still kind of evaluating that, but, but on the green side, they, they recognize that, you know, eating uh, meat is a contributor to, say, climate change, especially. Mm -hmm. um, but they so far don't advocate. Um, I, I mean, they've done very small scale advocation of reduction of meats uh, through their social media, mm -hmm. um, through just sharing images. Um, but if you go to their website, they, they currently say, you know, um, for their frequently asked questions is uh, that or they essentially say the diet is a personal choice. Yeah. And so they, they don't tell people what to do. And so eventually, you know, we're, we're going to work on them because, um, you know, it's not really in line with a lot of other sort of things that the government advocates here, which is all behavior based, which is they try to get people to take more public transit. That's a behavior. They want to get them to smoke less. That's a behavior. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we really want them to realize that, you know, we're, we're about just helping people make educated choices, you know, just educate people about the sustainability aspects of this uh, so that they can make an educated choice uh, because, you know, if you're unaware, we know there's an awareness gap, uh, then they can't make that more sustainable choice. And, you know, Singapore uh, does import, you know, rainforest beef and stuff like that. So it is all connected uh, in different ways. So on on so on that side, um, we're we're sort of I guess waiting until we have volunteers that really want to challenge them on that. We're working on a position paper right now. Um, we're going to see you know when it's finished how we can best use that. Um, but the nice thing about the government here is that they're very data driven and they're and they're not they're they're not at the mercy of of what you're describing the U.S. of the lobbies mm. to that extent. Right. Um, so. So I think, you know, and here they, they very much realize that sustainability is, is a major concern. So I think that we will eventually see, you know, a little bit more movement towards, you know, looking at, at diet. Uh, on, the health, uh, on the health side, so there's a couple um, again, and uh, we're, work, we're sort of waiting for their reply on what is their official sort of position on plant-based diets mm -hmm. and they, they haven't given us uh, an official reply yet 
So we'll see what comes back there, but um, we're working on a, another position paper for that. And, and we've met with, with one of the um, sort of agencies already once on this. And uh, I, I'm thinking that, you know, a lot of the goals, especially here in Singapore right now, we have uh, a war on type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're sharing research with them that shows, well, you know what, if, if you want to reach your goal, then, you know, educating people to eat less meat and more whole plant-based foods is going to help you reach your goal. So, you know, eventually we're hoping to, to build a, a good working relationship and help them reach their goals um, in, in terms of public health. And uh, I think they're a little bit, you know, concerned because the lifestyle diseases that are um, becoming more predominant are are putting a, a big strain on their on their health system eventually. Mm -hmm. So they really are in a in a you know they they're really interested in prevention, uh, and so hopefully yeah. we'll be able to help them a bit yeah. more with that. That's good. So I saw I was looking up some stats. Singapore is second to the U.S. in diabetes. I believe. Yeah, uh, like, it could or be. Or at least type um, two. It could be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe that's the stat. You know, it's so, high. Yeah. Of course, is, the U.S. You know. Yeah. U.S. Is, is number one by far, but uh, yeah, I think Singapore was was number two. Um, I also saw, you know, typical kind of. I, I was you know looking at all the top disease related causes of death in Singapore. Yeah, um, and it was kind of the usual players: uh, heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, and uh, one I saw up there though that um, is definitely less common in the U.S. is pneumonia. Okay. Do you know anything about why pneumonia is more, uh, people are more prone to pneumonia here? Do you know I, anything about that? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, uh, I believe that pneumonia is usually um, a cause of death that's usually secondary to some other, you know, usually old age type of thing you get uh, yeah. when your immune system is down. So uh, maybe a signature of the aging population. I'm not, not quite sure, but okay. yeah. yeah, it's not, yeah, I mean, it's not like people, healthy people are dropping due to ammonia. It's, yeah, I yeah. think it's more of a, a secondary, you know, infection or something that comes about. Yeah. Yeah. So on the on the healthcare front the US they have their problems but they also have the infrastructure yeah. to deal with you know millions of millions of people that are you know having heart attacks and having strokes and um you know living with diabetes and and all these all these diseases does singapore have that infrastructure we're looking out the window to like <laughs> it's like i look out and it's like dubai you know <laughs> like yeah it's yeah. very much uh very much one of the first of all one of the cleanest cities i've ever been in my life of course yeah uh, just gorgeous everything is like there's no like bad area of walkthrough or anything yeah. like that there's no like skid row like you see in la exactly. or anything like that it's just gorgeous but um, do they? It, it it looks like they have the infrastructure, but I don't know. Do they have the hospitals? Do they have the healthcare uh, to deal with? Kind of. I mean, it's obviously these diseases are obviously on the rise, correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the hospitals here are are beautiful and they're really high quality. So they definitely have you know the infrastructure. And uh, but but I the the nice thing again here, the government is very forward thinking, and they then because it's been a a strong government in terms of. Um, leadership but also like length of like the 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 current party has been in power for for decades uh, since the formation essentially of singapore mm. and so as a result of that 
continuity. You know, they've they they have long term plans that span decades, and and that's how you end up with such an organized city like this. And so, because of that sort of culture of forward uh, thinking, and also the very low corruption, which is again one of the the hallmarks of of Singapore, is, is how they they prevent their their politicians from being corrupted. Mm. Um, you know, is that there? That's why we're going to probably see them try to do more on diet. I mean, they, for the war on diabetes, they're already telling people to eat more fruits and vegetables. Right. But they don't include in that message less meat at the same time. Right. But I think over time we're going to see, as as they realize the data points towards this, and as we we try to help them, you know, think about these things, and we're going to see it, it play into their long term strategy for preventing disease. Um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a very logical government here. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so foreign to you know <laughs> Donald Trump, you know, back home coming out and saying like you know, climate change isn't a real thing. Like our president doesn't believe <laughs> climate change is real. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. You, yeah, you, you kind of wish you, you know, you would wake up and it was all a dream, but, uh, you know, it kind of puts the, the onus on the rest of the world to try and, yeah. uh, Step mobilize <laughs> a little bit more to make up for the lack of progress that's going to happen for the yeah. next while. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Singapore is definitely not in that camp whatsoever. The, the government is very much behind, um, you know, mm. reducing its carbon intensity. Whether it'll That's be great. enough, it's hard because Singapore is very land scarce. Uh, it's 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 done some studies on you know um, solar. The, the issue here is you can look out the window here. Singapore is a very vertical city. Mm -hmm. The population density is very high, so you don't have enough roof space to supply the energy demand. But but they're still gonna. I think their goal is to to have about thirty percent solar. Um, you know, supplying the energy, and so then they've they've also been looking at solar on the oceans uh, and then having it come in. Um, haven't heard anything positive from those trials that they've done. So so either either they're still doing uh, trials or or it didn't work. Uh, they also said there's just not enough you know wind here, uh, consistent wind to make uh, you know wind technology right. viable. So it, it comes down to Singapore, maybe you know one of those countries because of the way it's it's organized that you know it's never going to be truly um, renewable uh, in terms of its energy generation, and uh, it may be one of the few countries that that is a good candidate for for nuclear power, um, you know, or, or nuclear fission power. Um, in the meantime, just to reduce that carbon intensity, because here we, we burn mostly natural gas to, to mm. supply most of the energy. And uh, as a result, you know, it's 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 not I mean, that's a, the cleanest burning fossil fuel for energy generation, but it's not not sustainable in the long term. So, yeah. So I think they're they're exploring options for nuclear because, yeah, that's just, you know, one of the this is the nature of of the population density here. Yeah. So you mentioned land scarce, which yeah. is an obvious one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it feels like the, you know, this is my second second time here, and it feels like the city is the country. Um, yeah, it is. Yep. So where where are we getting all this meat? Um, obviously, you know, the U.S. A, a third of the U.S.'s land yeah. is used for, you know, raising livestock, which is just absurd. Yeah. But um. And in half of half of the entire country's water supply yeah. is used for raising livestock. It's just like those numbers are insane. 
So where are, you know, I don't see any farms, <laughs> not that I've been to the very outskirts <laughs> of Singapore, but, yeah. you know, where where's the meat coming from? Uh, so if you're talking about meat, um, we import chicken and beef um, from so- as far away as South America. Um, but we also have other others as well. So if you go to animalallies.sg, we have a fax page, and then you can actually see where we're importing from mm-hmm. uh, and the list. But um, in terms of chicken, um, a lot of the chicken is actually coming over uh, the bridge from Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have some some very large scale factory farms they're building over there, that kind of stuff. Um, but we also do have um, a few chicken farms left on Singapore here. Uh, most of the chickens um, that are coming in are live, tra- uh, live imported. Uh, so we do have quite a few slaughterhouses, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think, you know, there's six or so million chickens slaughtered every year uh, in the in the abattoirs here. Um, for um, for let's see here uh, for pig uh, for for pigs there there is an island in Indonesia um, that is actually. The a company bought this island, and it's just a pig farm and and a few other other things on it, uh, and so those pigs are live uh, imported uh, almost daily, and then we have one pig slaughterhouse that, that processes those pigs. Yeah, so that's uh, so I mean much, it's imported. I mean yeah. it's mostly imported except for chicken. Uh, there's a few still still happening and, here, and pretty much everything is imported in terms of food and plant based as well. Yeah, so I mean, there are a few organic farms uh, over there. Um, some of the land is being reclaimed or redeveloped for other reasons. Those farms may shift; they may not. Um, you know, it is a fairly land scarce area. There is um, a lot of push towards vertical farming now, and and like just more less soil based farming, more yeah. more the the high, the high tech type of farming. Uh, so, so that's what we're probably going to see more of in Singapore is, is trying to see these, you know, these vertical towers that can grow a lot more vegetables and things like that. So that's where we're at now. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to start seeing some sort of interest and investment in the sort of the lab grown meat, uh, to try and, yeah, sure. and have, you know, Singapore grow, in, in its bioreactors uh, that, it, that it can hopefully create, uh, you know, and, and supply some of the meat here in a, a more environmentally responsible and uh, a way that causes less harm to animals. Yeah. Do they have, do they import any of those products? Like the U.S. has Beyond Meat and they have, uh, there's a couple other pretty big players that are starting to do it. Uh, the lab-grown um, meat uh, isn't anywhere but the U.S. right now, um, to, my, to okay. my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So all we have really are the sort of like impossible, or sorry, uh, Beyond Meat, which has like some of the plant-based burgers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which, uh, so some of those end up over here. But, okay. you know, by the time you, you import those things, though, the carbon footprint is quite high. So it's like Asia really needs its own solution, you know, to these types of things, and more localized production that kind of stuff Uh, what's your what's your take on that um versus you know just having you know alternative foods what's your take on kind of the fake meat if you want to call it that like i personally like it's not in my diet because you know i it's still like a processed food and yeah um but what's your take on it like i know a lot of the population at least in the u.s We'll never give up meat. 
They yeah. just are stubborn. They are stuck <laughs> in their, their ways. They don't care about their health. They won't give up meat. Uh, you know, the, you give them all the facts, you give them the facts about, you know, the three pillars that we touched on, right? Health, planet, animals, give them all the facts and it, they, it still doesn't phase them. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of the, the products like beyond meat and, uh, the other kind of meat alternative brands that are starting to emerge are a means of getting people to have another option. So when you sit down at the restaurant, you have the steak or you have the environmentally friendly steak, essentially, yeah. right? <laughs> and the decision, you know, a lot a lot more people are, are more willing to, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get the steak that's better for the planet versus, you know, I'll just eat vegetarian or vegan, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's definitely because knowing, you know, my transition as well is that those kinds of things help people when they're trying to cut back. So I think they have a role in the market and I think they bridge people towards what is more optimal, what I evolved into over time, which is the whole foods plant-based diet. Yeah. But I think, you know, for those definitely have their place. And, you know, even now uh, they're good for, you know, every once in a while you do want some comfort food or you want to go to have a barbecue and you want to have some of those things that you right. grew up with a bit more. And so every once in a while you'll have those things that they're nice to have. But, you know, I think um, the, the idea of mock meat and fake meat, the, the idea is that the people that, you know, we know that will never give up meat, um, you know, they don't want mock meat necessarily. They they don't they, they want real meat. So I, yeah. this is where the lab grown meat comes in, where exactly. it's real meat. Yeah. yeah, give give you what you want, but in a way that doesn't cause the rest of us to pay the price. Uh, you know, environmentally yeah. um, for for your choice, that kind of thing, and you know, ultimately the the projections are that really you'll be able to produce it for cheaper than any factory farm could do. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the goal is to make factory farms obsolete. And, yep. you know, and I, and I think, you know, some of the preliminary sort of market research that they're doing in the U.S. is, is quite good is that, you know, I think they said about 30% of people said they would be open to trying the clean meat mm -hmm. um, without being fed any information first. Uh, so that's that's a good start. Uh, but then after they told people more about it, you know, it shot up. It was I think sixty or eighty percent. It was it was a major jump up. Yeah. So you know the idea is you know most people I think if you say here's the exact same meat you know but it's more sustainable and you don't have to kill an animal for it you know and and potentially they can make it healthier as well because they can you know engineer it and and remove some of the the things that are are triggering the lifestyle diseases you know it's really a no brainer at that point and so i think we'll see a fast shift you know when we're able to raise that to an industrial scale um and then you know those farms will just sort of cease existing and uh that can be the end of end of that chapter so i think that will be a major focus of all of us animal rights advocates over over the next few decades is um really getting the the lab grown meats um to to scale yeah so it seems even more so in singapore so to touch on kind of uh the animal side a little bit more and is that is that primarily your your kind of angle with it or your approach to it i know it's the whole big picture but um 
is that like your your business's animal allies, right? Oh, uh, so, it's a charity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, well, I mean, so so the way we, we're a purely voluntary organization, we're not like you know, the big players like Animals yeah. Australia, Mercy for Animals, etc. So essentially, we meet once a month, and you know, we throw ideas out there, and people who have the time and the passion for something, you know, say, "I'm going to do this." Yeah. And then sometimes a few people say that, that they want to work on the same thing, so they form a group and they work on that. And then sometimes we throw an idea up there and nobody wants to do it. Yeah. And that's just the nature of a voluntary organization. And uh, so so that's where we're at. And yeah. so it kind of depends. You know, I, I'm right now, I'm very motivated on this aspect of, um, you know, this, this clean meat revolution. And yeah. so I'm starting to, you know, pitch to the media here and stuff like that to try and start covering this. And I'm starting to learn a little bit more about some of the um, sort of, investment landscapes uh, you know like mm. you know how do you get something like this you know going in asia you know it's i, I kind of just do it on my own time because i have the, the full-time job outside that but you know any little bit i can help i kind of try to yeah to do so it seems like singapore is even kind of further removed from seeing what's behind their food if you know what i mean so like we all, when we sit down to our steak, when we sit down to our chicken sandwich or, uh, you know, bacon and egg sandwich or, or whatever we're eating, the connection between the fact that you're eating an animal that was, you know, tortured and, and slaughtered, um, is not there. Now in the U S if you want to go see that, you can go see it. You know, if you want to visit a farm, you know, there's, places you know in every state there's farms in every state that you can go you can see a pig you can see a cow um you know when i kind of you know put the full picture together personally um on the animal front it was because i went to a farm you know i didn't grow up on a farm i grew up sort of uh in the in the suburbs of a of boston of a of a pretty big city and you know farms were farm animals were not something i grew up with i you know, didn't ever think about it. Right. But once I went, um, and I had been vegan for health reasons for, for a while, but once I went and I saw a pig come up to me and a cow come up to me, you know, wagging their tails, just like a dog, just yeah. like any animal. And it clicked with me and it was just like, wow, like I can't, I just couldn't believe that, you know, I had blindly eaten them for so many years. Um, but my point is, if you want to go to slaughterhouses, if you want to go to farms and interact with these animals, in the U.S. you can. If you, you know, most people don't, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> like if you really want to find out and do a little research for yourself and go pet a pig and see how cool it is and see that it's probably smarter than your Labrador or whatever, yeah. um, that you can do that. But in Singapore, because everything's imported, these, you know, there's very few kind of farms and slaughterhouses um, you know, how, how are you with your, with animal allies? How, how do you get that message out there that look, that perfectly packaged steak with, you know, truffle butter and a side of potatoes yeah. is, is a beautiful animal. How do you, how do you get people to make that connection? 
um, because they can't go experience this, you know, in their backyard. Yeah, it's it's very tough here because you're you're far removed from all sorts of food production, whether it's meat or plants. I mean, the, if you show them things that are growing in the garden, they won't be able to identify them, you know, in the, in their rows before they're picked. That kind of thing. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it, it's there is a, a nature deficit disorder of, of of extent when you're in a big urban jungle um, like Singapore. And, and, you know, obviously that removal from the process is something that helps sort of um, keep that, that system going. Right. So how do we um, in Singapore try to, try to, you know, bridge that gap? Uh, one thing we're trying to do is um, launching an animal sanctuary tour. Um, so there is in Malaysia an animal sanctuary um, that is not perfect um, by any means but it exists and they have all sorts of different farmed animals uh, there that have been rescued and so we're, we're working on planning trips to get people over there so that they can see these animals for for what they are and, yeah. and see them uh, in that way um, you uh, the other I mean moral moral outreach is actually the hardest because people really don't especially like when you're out doing outreach in the public, they don't really want to know, you know, it's like yeah. oftentimes they're out at an event and they, they want to be focused on something else about the event. So to get them to stop and, you know, say watch a video to show, you know, what's happening or, uh, you know, we do the virtual reality thing now, um, but very few people really actually want to stop and say, yes, I want to, I want to know. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the hardest part um, is the moral outreach. Um, so we try our best, uh, you know, we're actually more successful through the environmental and health angles mm -hmm. uh, at getting people to engage with us. Mm -hmm. But when we do the moral engagement, it's a lot harder. And, uh, you know, it's, we, we keep trying to, to improve, but it's, it's, it's a hard, hard yeah. play. Yeah. Are there any, so you have your group, are there any other big groups or kind of, um, in the U S there's kind of, you, you probably know some of them, uh, sort of celebrity, uh, endorsers of, of veganism, uh, kind of celebrity doctors, if you will, um, that are, you know, becoming a lot more prominent with social media and things like that. Um, like, uh, names like Dr. Gregor and, uh, Dr. Esselstyn and these kind of big, names in the u.s and in, in plant-based are there any personalities or big organizations like that in singapore um there's yeah there's not really a, yeah there's there's not that yet um we we would like to get there um but yeah so far we don't have have that aspect we don't have like you know our our ellen's you know that you know it's, it's really good right. vegan advocates in the celebrity side and, and we don't i mean we do have plant-based doctors here but they, you know, so far haven't really broken out and tried to be, to to really appeal to to a large large audience uh, effectively. Um, so I think we we have you know that in place in terms of they're here. It's about finding a way to get them get their message out more yeah. and more. So so that's another thing that you know will hopefully come through as as Animal Allies sorts of grows. Um, I mean we do have larger organizations here that are um, advocates, advocating veganism to a, a certain extent. Um, so we have one called Kampong Sanong, 
and they um, they do various things. Um, one of them is Green and Healthy Monday, which is trying to get you know plant based foods on Mondays into schools and different things like that. And uh, you know they they do want the world to be vegan, um, but a lot of times most of the people in their organization themselves don't actually follow a vegan diet or a vegan lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so it, it's you know that when you have that gap, um, you know it's a little bit hard sometimes. Uh, we also have the Tzu Chi Foundation, which started in Taiwan and now it's global and it's, it, it does many, many great things. They also advocate veganism. But again, most of the people that are in the organization aren't vegan themselves. So it's, uh, and most of them, you know, generally do not go through the animal rights perspective. So both Kampong Sanong and Tzu Chi are more through the Buddhist philosophy, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, you know, that kind of thing. And Animal Allies is really the only one that that has this animal rights aspect to it, where these animals have rights to not be killed, to have their own space, not be owned as property, etc. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's we're kind of on our own there, and it's it's hard to find um, a lot of people that really see that aspect of it. Um, we see a lot of uh, vegans uh, that are very much into it for the health aspect. Um, or the environment aspect, um, but they might not really get philosophically to the animal rights aspect. Yeah. Do you think the culture um, here in Singapore makes spreading the word a little more difficult? And what I mean by that is, in the U.S., when you really believe something, you, you know, start a YouTube channel, you you know, start a website, you start a podcast like I've done, right? <laughs> and and you really, you preach it and you, yeah. you want to make a change and you want to get your word out and you do everything you can. In Singapore, uh, what I'm getting, and I think in a lot of Asia, it's kind of like, you know, keep your head down and, you know, do your job and, uh, you know, stay out of the government's way in a sense. I mean, there isn't that... Uh, at least it doesn't seem like there's that kind of level of uh, just really speaking your mind and, and being uh, filmed all the time and putting videos up and things like that. Um, would you agree there? It's a it's a different culture for sure, and it's a different style. Like in, in, in Singapore, it's a different style of government as well, and there's a different level of freedom of speech and, yes. and all those kinds of things. So... Um, you know, we do our own brand of activism here that's very positive. And, um, you know, we, we again, we, we want to help whether it's a person, an organization or government's, uh, you know, agency. Uh, we just want to help them reach their goals and, and help them realize that what we want and what they want are actually one and the same mm-hmm. and that we can be allies together. And so that's what we try to focus on. Um, the things that, you know, you, you might see with more direct action that, that might happen in Australia or, or the U.S., um, you know, those kinds of things, if they were to happen in Singapore, um, would not be very effective um, at all. It, it, mm. would, it, would, it would sort of backfire in many ways. It's just not, not the place to do those, those kinds of outreaches. So all of our stuff is very positive, inspiring, and, and we do our best um, within, within that. I like it. I like it. So what is next for Animal Allies? Oh, <laughs> it's hard to say because we have, uh, you know, 
this volunteer base where it depends who volunteers and who picks what project and who does you know this or that so it, it's always hard to say where things will go um, but I, I'm happy with the momentum that we've built and hopefully we'll we'll start to see uh, you know more I guess uh, more people getting out of their comfort zones and trying new projects that, you know, garner more attention. And uh, we, we talk a lot about effective activism and trying to think about, you know, how can we save the most amount of animals with, you know, th this amount of money or this amount of time. And hopefully that will lead to just, you know, better and better activism all the time. And yeah. Cool. Well, before I get a couple last questions for you, yeah. but uh, before I ask him, uh, I want to thank you for what you're doing because it is super cool. You have a very positive approach to it, it seems like, and a very, um, I guess, positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very positive, and the way you're kind of, you talk about it and say, especially when it comes to the government, you know, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing, um, and taking that positive approach instead of, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of, vegans especially in the u.s that can be very negative and be very um <clears throat> i don't know what the word is but uh offensive and you know if you're you're either all vegan or you're all not yeah um yeah. when you know small changes like you know eating less meat and trying not to buy as much leather or whatever just small changes are things i believe we should be encouraging yeah yeah um so i love your approach and your positivity and uh everything you're doing in singapore and uh so i salute you for that oh thank um, you yeah so last couple questions my uh my business focuses more on the health side but we focus on everything yeah um but uh for somebody out there right now in Singapore or wherever in the world that's listening to this, that is listening to this for educational reasons, they're, they want to make a change in their health. They want to, um, you know, have an impact in the world. Um, what do you recommend they can do today to, you know, take action to either get their health under control or kind of make more meaningful daily decisions what would you recommend yeah i think uh, the first thing is really find your your why like mm. really you know find out why you want to do this and uh, i really think the best ways are, are generally documentaries because they they have some really powerful stories um that that can inspire people and i think when you find your why um everything else will fall into place because you'll you'll have that self motivation uh, to make it happen and that you know generally you know when you're starting out and especially if you're in an area where people don't embrace veganism or there's a small community is just you know get online and you know find other people that are on the same journey as you and you know having you know people that you can talk to that understand and uh, people you can ask questions to without getting you know judgmental answers and all those kinds of things is is really an important part of that process that support network is really really important to helping everybody reach their goals mm, i like it all right one more for you yeah so my brand is called eat green make green uh that essentially to me means I know that eating green, eating plant-based puts me in the best position to succeed at whatever it is I do. 
and reach whatever goals I have. Um, that's kind of the, the make green portion of it. So what does make green mean to you? Why do you live a plant-based lifestyle? Uh, well, I, I live a plant-based lifestyle. Uh, essentially, I think that the most important reason for me now is because I want to reduce harm in the world. And so it's, it's not only the direct harm that's being caused to the animals that, that are, you know, in the food system, but, um, you know, as I learn more over the years is that, you know, there's a moral harm to every person that, you know, is indoctrinated into being blind to the suffering of these animals. You know, it harms them. Uh, it, it lowers the compassion of us as, as a civilization which, you know, bleeds off into other areas of the world. And I think it bleeds off into other world problems, um, this lack of compassion, you know. And, you know, it's the harm of the people that, you know, work in the slaughterhouses and they end up having, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder because they're killing thousands of animals a day. You know, these are people that don't have a choice. You know, they're usually in a a lower economic situation where they're forced to take whatever job and especially you know in in the US a lot of times they're just they're given no health care and they're discarded if they get injured on the job uh, and it affects their families alcoholism and and all those kinds of things so in Asia here we have you know in the seafood industry we have people who were slaves you know their passports taken away they're put on a ship and they they go fishing and bring in this unsustainable and you know slave um caught you know uh seafood so you know there's a lot of harm that goes into there and then you know when we when we blow it up to the global scale of uh, you know, the fact that we're in the sixth mass extinction now, and that's being driven by our deforestation, you know, which is being driven by our desire for meat. Um, you know, that's a lot of animals being killed, but uh, at the same time, it's also polluting the water and the land of, of people, uh, you know, and so that's affecting their health and, and not only, con you know, consuming the animal products to, to an excess now is contributing to so many, so, so much human suffering through health. And then to the, the climate change of people who are, you know, losing, you know, the islands they live on uh, and to, to you know, all, all, the, all the other predicted things in terms of food shortages in the future due to the, the droughts and the unpredictable climate. You know, there's so much human suffering uh, and when animal agriculture is such a major driver of climate change that, you know, I'm vegan because I really want to minimize the amount of harm my choices cause every day. And it's it's not to say that you avoid creating all harm in the world. Uh, that's, that's pretty well impossible, is that there's always something harmed in a process. But the idea is trying to minimize as much as you can the amount of harm you cause and and always trying to, to create less harm and less harm and do better and do better. And I think that's, you know, why I do it. I love it. That was beautifully said. <laughs> cool. I think we did it, man. All right. Thanks Thank so you. much. Yeah. You got it. It's fun. Pleasure to have you. All right. Great stuff there with Michael. I find it interesting that all the people I speak with that are well-traveled and have seen the different perspectives of people around the world tend to be vegan. They see things uh, clearer, perhaps, and have a more 
uh, worldwide view on things. And I really think that says something. I highly encourage you to hop over to animalallies.sg, especially if you live in Singapore. There's all kinds of information about where to shop, where to eat. Uh, there's always events going on about uh, vegan education. So hop over to animalallies.sg. For those that are interested in adopting a plant-based lifestyle, you're in luck. That's what I do. I work with men and women all over the world to adopt this lifestyle, to heal inflammation, to get off their medications and treat their health at the source, which is with diet and lifestyle. My program called Seven Weeks for the Rest of Your Life is designed to teach you exactly how to transition into a healthier lifestyle. And I give you all the tools, all the resources, everything you need to adopt this lifestyle and apply it to your life for years to come. For more information on my course, pop over to eatgreenmakegreen.com slash coaching. I'll see you guys on the next episode. Have a great week. <music>